Pastor Turner, thank you very much for making this meeting happen. Yeah, I know a lot of people have been involved in it, and uh, that's good. That's the way it should be, I think. But uh, if it wasn't for you, I don't think it would have uh, happened at all. Um, thank you for allowing me to preach here. It's not often that I get invited to preach someplace, except in my own church. They don't mind it. But, uh, boy, I've been blessed by the, the preaching uh, yesterday and today. Every message has spoken to my heart. And I particularly enjoyed the four young guys that came to preach. And, wow, I, I just thought, man, there's our, our future. Yeah, these are our good guys. Well, you, you look at them, and they're young, and they're strong, and they're healthy, and they stand tall, and they have good teeth, and they have a full head of hair. <laughs> and I once had a few of those things myself. But I was very encouraged. To, to hear them preach. So thank you, young guys, and keep at it. Open your Bible, if you would, please, to the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers, chapter 13, and when you find that, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand. We'll read it together out loud, verses 27 to 30. Numbers, chapter 13. We'll start at verse 27, we'll finish verse 30, after which you may be seated. I'd like you to take particular notice of verse 30. That's going to be our, our theme verse in this message. And so, if you're ready, let's read together verse 27. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to tell you a cute story about a new pastor that was moving his things into uh, the church office. Uh, lo and behold, the church hired a new pastor, and so here he was, and he showed up in his station wagon, and he started bringing boxes into the church office, and when he opened the door of the church office, lo and behold, there was the previous pastor in the process of moving his things out. And so they paused for a few moments and shook hands and chatted a little bit, and on his way out, the former pastor said to the younger new pastor, he said, I left you three envelopes in the desk drawer. They're marked one, two, and three. 
And if you ever have any trouble, I suggest you open them in that order. And of course, the uh, young preacher thought he'd never have any trouble. He'd never have any use for them. But he thanked them anyhow. And um, it wasn't too long into his uh, ministry that the young preacher decided he was going to change the order of how the vacation Bible school was run. Well, that made the workers absolutely furious. And there was a lot of ugly talk about this new pastor. And so all of a sudden he remembered the envelopes. And so he went to his office and sat at the desk and pulled open the drawer and took envelope number one and he opened it. And it said, you haven't been here very long, but you decided to make a change in the vacation Bible school and now everyone's mad. Here's what you do. You tell everyone that the former pastor told you that this was how you preferred to do it. So the young preacher did that and it actually worked out just fine. Well, he'd been there, I guess, about a year and a half now when he tried to change the deacon positions from being a lifelong appointment to being um, a position that rotated annually. Well, of course, this made the deacons exceptionally mad and they were the ones who made his salary recommendations. And so back to the desk drawer he went and uh, he took out envelope number two. And in the envelope, it said, okay, you did something to make the deacons mad and there's talk of replacing you. Here's what you do. Tell them that this is official denominational policy and that you thought they wanted to follow it, but it doesn't matter to you one way or the other what they want to do. And so he tried this and it worked perfectly and everyone was happy. Well, you guessed it, after about three years, he finally told the woman's organization that they were going to have to open up the kitchen so that it could be used without a representative from the women's group being present. Well, this put the woman's organization into open revolt. And so, back to his office he went, sat at his desk, opened the drawer, took out the envelope, mark number three. He opened it up. It said this, Okay, you've been here about three years, and you finally got the woman's organization mad at you. There's only one thing to do. Prepare three envelopes. You know, I would hazard a guess that in the life of every pastor, there are times when we feel it's time to open that third envelope. These are spiritually dark days in which we live. I can't believe this is Canada. It's not the Canada I grew up in. I'm Canadian. Please forgive me. These are dark days in which we live, and I, I only believe it's going to get worse worldwide. And I suppose maybe that there's a, a time when we, we do all feel it's time to open that third envelope. 
but now is not the time to open that third envelope. If we're going to open anything, we need to open our Bibles. We need to open the doors of our prayer closets, but not the third envelope. I, I agree that there's a lot of apathy amongst Christians today, a lot, and faith is at an all-time low. We walk by sight, not by faith these days. But I'd like us to remember that God is able. He is able. And if God is able, that means that we are well able. Numbers 13, verse 30, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And that's what I want to preach on for the next little bit, if you'll allow me. God is able, and therefore we are well able. Would you bow your head and close your eyes in prayer together with me? Heavenly Father, we know that you're able. You can do all things. There's nothing that you cannot do. You're omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. And that's a comfort to our hearts today as we look around in the world around us today. It, it looks hopeless. It's getting worse. The devil has the upper hand. He's made it so that our politicians have changed the rules and brought in new legislation. And the noose is tightening around our necks. But not just that, Heavenly Father. Within our churches, there's a lot of apathy. Within our churches, there's a lack of faith. I suppose there's a lack of fire. But we're reminded today that you are able. And because of that, we are well able. Show us that. Encourage us in that. Help us as we seek to pray more laborers into the harvest fields. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Canada is a growing nation. I suppose all nations are. World population has a tendency to do that. Immigration is the major factor behind the growth of Canada. We take in about 300,000 people every year here into Canada. That may sound like a lot. Bear in mind, the United States takes in over a million every year. Last week, I read in the news where Canada has reached 40 million people. Back in 1967, Canada celebrated its centennial year. We were 100 years old. 100 years since Confederation in 1867. I was an 11-year-old boy at the time, but I fondly remember, even to this day, the centennial song that we used to sing, Canada, little one, little two Canadians, we love thee, and now we're 20 million. 20 million, back in 1967. Does anyone else remember that centennial song? One, two hands. Okay, I'm in good company. Praise God. Um, Bobby Gimby was the guy who uh, composed that song. He was quite an amazing talent. And uh, he wrote uh, a number of songs. In fact, um, he, uh, he wrote, Don, do uh, you know Malaysia Forever? 
Malaysia forever? I thought you might know that because of your, your ties with Malaysia. Bobby Gimby wrote that. It's considered the national anthem in Malaysia. Bobby Gimby wrote that. He wrote a lot of different songs. He was a prolific writer, and he, he, he wrote this. In fact, he died in 1998 uh, in a nursing home in North Bay. They buried him in Toronto and erected a monument. Bobby Gimby. Anyhow, that's not, nothing to do with this sermon. But I just point out that look how we've grown from 20 million now to 40 million. That's a lot of people. Do you think everyone in Canada has heard the gospel, let alone even the name of Jesus? We take in hundreds of thousands of people from all corners of the world, people that have never even heard the name of Jesus. In my town of Surrey, we have hundreds of thousands of idol worshippers, pagan idol worshippers. There's hundreds of thousands all around here. They got their little idols up on their mantelpiece. They burn a little incense daily to them. They go to their temples and bow to them. Quite something, you know, when you think of it. There are probably many, many millions of people in Canada that never heard the gospel. There are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people around the world that have never heard that Jesus saves, never heard the gospel story. Yeah, what do we do? Well, Matthew 9, 38, we pray the Lord of the harvest to send in more laborers into his harvest, and his harvest needs laborers. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told us to pray. Now, it all sounds simple enough, but the devil opposes that. The devil opposes Matthew 9.38. I like that 9.38 idea of setting the clock. But we could also do Luke 10.2, 10.02. Take your pick. But whatever you do, pray. Pray. We, desperate, we are in desperate days as a nation, as a world. We are in desperate times. If God's people don't pray, hey, you... We have not because we ask not. So we need to ask. So here we are faced with Matthew 9:38 and Luke 10, verse 2, to pray for laborers. And outwardly, we pray for laborers. But what's happening inside us? That's where the devil likes to take advantage of us. Inwardly, the devil tempts us with this thought. What's the use? What's the use? Look what's happening all around us. What's the use? We start doubting. The longer you've been in the ministry, I've been 42 years now in the ministry, the longer you've been in the ministry, you find you start getting a bit tired. That's, that's a norm. The, the exception is the guy who's still 50 years in the ministry and He's still got all of the vim and vinegar that he had when he was in his 20s. He's the exception. The norm is that uh, too many birthdays catch up with us. And before you know it, we start feeling tired. In fact, you don't have to be in your 60s or 70s to be feeling tired. You can be in, in, uh, in your 40s. By the way, did you know that Timothy was in his 40s? When the apostle wrote to him and said, let no man despise thy youth. 
I read a book by a Christian man, and he was in his 70s at the time, and in his book he wrote he just wishes that he could be back in his 40s, in his prime of life. I understand what he means now, or at least a little of it, I think. But you can get worn out. You can feel tired. You can get discouraged. When you look around what's happening in our churches, you see very little in the way of revival, very little in the way of blessing upon our churches. And what's really discouraging, I find, as a pastor, is most of our young people don't seem to want to go to Bible college. There may be the exceptional church out there, but as a rule of thumb, most of our young people aren't interested in Bible college. You know, if you just turn a few pages to the right, to the book of Deuteronomy, you will see in chapter 1 a summation Moses is, uh, this is now 40 years later, Moses is summarizing what happened back in Numbers chapter 13 and in Deuteronomy chapter 1. He's recalling those days, starting in verse 22, about going in and searching out the land and coming back, you know, all of the fruit in verse 25. And then he said that people rebelled and they started murmuring in their tents against God. And verse 28, I want you to notice this. This is what the people were saying. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. See that? Saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we've seen the sons of the Anakims there. Those are the giants, the big guys. That when they hit you, <laughs> they change your postal code. They hit hard. Our brethren have discouraged our heart. Hey, where is that third envelope anyhow? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I do believe it's the devil's job to set traps for us, to discourage us, to keep us from praying by faith, to keep us from entering into God's promised land of revival and blessing upon our ministries. Old Elijah went into a cave. You remember that? Quite likely, he forgot that God is still able. When you're discouraged, you tend to forget that God is able. And because God is able, in reality, whether he knew it or not, it meant that Elijah was also able. Not just able, but well able. That's what Caleb said. We are well able. Nehemiah wept when he learned of all of the... the the carnage, the rubble, the insurmountable odds in Jerusalem. He wept when he heard about the walls. The job of rebuilding them was huge. There was incredible amounts of rubble. But Nehemiah knew that God was still able, which meant that Nehemiah was well able. Peter, after the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, Peter got discouraged, and he went back to fishing. Possibly Peter had forgotten that God was still able. And this is just like, you know, a day, whatever, after the, or two days after the crucifixion. Well, in reality, God is still able. 
And God is still able to bring Canada into his promised land of revival and victory. And if God is able to do it, that means that we are well able to do it. That means I'm talking revivals in our churches. We are well able to see that. I'm talking about the call of God on the hearts and lives of young men into the ministry. There's a lot of us pastors that are concerned saying, where are we going to get the young men to step up and take over? What happens when some of us retire, when some of us go, go home to glory? Who's going to uh, take over? Boy, I, I rejoiced like a little kid when I got news that uh, all of the IFB churches in Saskatchewan got preachers. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that in the news, but uh, they don't have an empty pulpit in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Churches in Saskatchewan. Boy, I clicked my heels. I paid for it the next day, but I rejoiced. Hallelujah. Man, I wish we could say that about all of Canada. But God is able. God never intended for us to accomplish the work of the ministry in our own wisdom and in our own strength. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. God's plan has always been for us to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and to live a life of obedient prayer. Because here's why. One man. Just one man who's completely surrendered to God and filled with his spirit, just one man can radically impact the marriages, the families, the churches, the businesses, and the culture of any city. Please remember, prayer is like an armored tank. And when God's people put that into action, not even the gates of hell can stand against it. And so our job is to believe and to pray and to preach the word. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Now, having just said that, I would like to also say that I believe our independent fundamental Baptist churches in Canada have found themselves in the cycles of Old Testament Israel under the judges. Israel had great prosperity, but it led to their downfall. It led to oppression. It led to trouble. But the good news, of course, is that when Israel cried out to God, he sent deliverers. He sent revival. Remember the cycles? We learned them in Bible college. We learned them in Sunday school, these cycles that they went through. We are very prosperous here in Canada. How do we know that? Just compare our churches with some of the churches over in Ukraine, for example. We are well off. We're very prosperous compared to so many in the world. Back in the 1970s and 1980s, those, those were great days, and Canada experienced revival. Those were days of revival. Many were saved. Many young people felt the call of God into full-time ministry. I am one of them, and I started in full-time ministry in 1981. Back in those days, the Bible colleges were full. People were getting saved on a regular basis, it seemed. 
Churches were started, and the process just repeated itself. These were miracles. But something happened over the years, and our prosperity has slowly brought about our demise. Young people today are not seeing the miracles of God on our ministries. The miracles have all but vanished, and therefore I think today's young people seem more interested in going after high-paying careers than in serving the Lord with their lives. And as a result of that, Ichabod has been visiting our churches throughout Canada, and our churches are dwindling. Many good preachers have either died or retired or will soon retire or will soon die. And there are very few young Christian men responding to the call of God to give their lives in full-time service. Where is that third envelope? But now is not the time to open the third envelope. Now is the time to cry out to God because he can do it again. Caleb told us in Numbers 13.30 that we are well able. Listen, I got thinking about this. Supposing that Joshua and Caleb showed up to the meeting today. They walked in and we invited them to the platform to say a few words behind the pulpit. What might they tell us as they survey the situation in Canada, possibly in the United States as well? What might these men tell us? They might say, yes, the need is great. Caleb and Joshua might say, yes, we are but grasshoppers in the eyes of the enemy. But they'd say, God is able. And because God is able, we are well able to do this. Well, it's not too hard to feel tired in the ministry, to feel worn out. Some of us have given our lives in serving God, and we see little in the way of revival and blessing on our churches. Our young people don't seem to want to go to Bible college, and those that are going only seem to want to go for one year. And sometimes they just want to go to get away and have a blast before they come back and go to the secular worldly college to pursue some high-paying career. But let's take time to remind ourselves that God is still able. And God has actually kept for himself some reserves Reserves that we might not be able to see. Brother Ehlert reminded us of that. When Elijah felt all alone and discouraged, God told him he had reserved to himself 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And what does that mean? What does it tell us? It tells us that God has reserves. That even these days of apathy, they're out there. God has reserves. The Apostle Paul in Corinth felt all alone. He felt discouraged. God told them that there were still many people to be saved in Corinth. What does that mean? What does it tell us? It tells us that God has reserves. They're out there somewhere. Now listen, would it surprise you if I told you that right now, scattered across Canada, there are 1,000 Christian young people 
hidden in our IFB churches, all of which have the potential and the ability to go to Bible college. 1,000, right now, 1,000 young people that could go to Bible college. Would that shock you? All you have to do is the math. Do the math. There's more than 300 IFB churches in Canada of varying sizes. If each church averaged just three young people, age 17, 18, or 19, just three young people, that's a thousand young people right there. Personally, I think the number is a bit higher. Some IFB churches maybe will have a dozen or more young people who could enter Bible college, and some IFB churches will have none. But I think the number of a thousand is about right. But even if you want to cut that number in half, you say, Pastor White, a thousand is too much. Sounds like too many. Cut it in half. Take 50%. 500 young people that are able to go to Bible college and train for the mission field or train for the pastorate. The truth is, there's millions of people in Canada and hundreds of millions of people all around the world who have yet to hear the gospel, or even the name of Jesus. And God is not willing that any should perish. Why would Jesus tell us to pray for laborers if he wasn't going to answer our prayer? Why would he lead us up the garden path, lead us over a cliff? Oh, I was never going to answer that prayer anyhow. No, not my Savior. Well, what about those thousand young people in Canada, right now, who could enter full-time service, who could go to Bible college? What about those thousand? How can we help them to hear God's call? What can we do? That's where praying and preaching come to the rescue. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water he turneth it, whithersoever he will. God is able, which means we are more than able. Well, I need to bring the plane down to a landing soon. But let's face it, we don't see what we once saw 40 years ago here in this country. We don't see the level of repentance. We don't see the depth of commitment. Myself, personally, I believe we must all do more to reach our communities with the gospel. I'm just sad to say that apathy knows no boundaries. Weekly organized soul winning, which at one time was one of our greatest priorities, is rarely done now. Why is that? Why can't we seem to see more of our church people getting involved with the gospel, going door to door with the gospel? Well, maybe we need to change some things about it. I don't think that we can continue a, a program of soul winning that frightens our people, and puts them in fear, and puts them under stress and pressure, where we browbeat them. You're not out there. Why? You're not right with God. I think it's a big mistake. In our church, we've started a Soul Winners Academy, and it's made all the difference. 
but we have to reach our cities. That's where God put us. We support missionaries who can reach cities way out there that we can't get to. But those missionaries can't reach our city. That's where we come in. We're to reach the city. That's our job. Seems to me that Faith Promise Missions is a tremendous door of blessings to the local church. But why is it we don't seem to be able to take on very many more missionaries? Either our annual missions conferences are too weak or they're non-existent. And yet we're to reach the world with the gospel. That's our job. The Israelites, they were promised the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land. God promised it to them. But you notice when they got into the promised land, they had to fight. You notice that? There was battle after battle after battle. After 20 years of battling under Joshua, it still wasn't all done. A whole bunch of it was, but there was lots left to be done. And they still had to battle the giants. The giants that they once were so afraid of, they still had to battle them in order to take over the land. Nehemiah was led of God to rebuild the walls, but he and the people still had to do the work. They still had to do the, the battle, if you will, to achieve it. I'm so thankful for a verse in our New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First time I ever really caught the full meaning of that verse was when I was still in Bible college. I was attending a Bible college in London, Ontario. The church I was attending was pastored by a man named Fred Howard. And Fred was a godly man, and he was in his 60s at the time. Not that old. And he said that down through the years of his ministry, some 35 or 40 years at that point, that verse did more to hold him up and keep him going in the face of failure, in the face of disasters, in the face of challenges. And remember, those were still the days of revival. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You know something? If we all pray and we all labor, if we would all do that, then at least some of us are going to see some success. And when that happens, guess what? We all win. All of us. If I can sow seed and pray and someone else comes along and leads them to Christ, we all rejoice. Yeah. The devil loves to call us failures. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> it doesn't take long to figure that out. He calls us failures. He loves to call us failures. But I remind you that God is not a failure, and God still has his reserves, and there's always a thousand young people. Next year this time, there'll still be a thousand young people. Some of them are a year older, but there'll be still a thousand young people. Those that were 16 will now be 17. You get the idea? There's going to be another thousand next year, somewhere. You know, myself personally, in 42 years, 
I've known a lot of failure in my ministry. I've, I've come to shake hands with failure. But I noticed something eventually. I noticed something about the word failure, and I brought something to show you. I noticed something about the word failure. I hope you can see that. That's not all there is to the word. There's more to the word than that. But it's hidden. You can't see it. Because there's a bunch of clutter in the way. But the word that's in failure is a word that will ignite 1 Corinthians 15, 58 in your heart. Now it's there. But the clutter's in the way. And so what I'd like to do is try and remove a little of the clutter. I'd like to remove the clutter for you. But when you remove the clutter, you can start to see the hidden word that's in failure. What's the word? Fire. But you don't normally see it because of all the clutter that's in the way. But it's there. You just got to move the clutter to one side. And you'll see the fire. And likewise, you just need to move aside some of the clutter that's preventing you from getting into your prayer closet every morning. There's clutter. The devil's throwing some clutter in the way. Oh, you can't get into the prayer closet this morning. Well, maybe tomorrow. Well, the clutter won. You lost. The, cl the clutter won. We need to move aside some of the clutter in our preaching. There's clutter in our preaching, preventing us from touching people's hearts. We can't seem to touch people's hearts because maybe some clutter. Some guys that that preach, they're incredible humorists. I'm not against humor. But when you're standing at the back and people are shaking your hand and they're telling you, preacher, you should have been a comedian. You should have been a comedian. You should have been a comedian. Well, that should tell you something about the preaching. There's clutter in the way. No one said that to D.L. Moody. No one said that to Charles Spurgeon as they were leaving the church. Brother Spurgeon, you should have been a comedian. Kind of would be an insult, don't you think? We need to move some clutter so we can touch hearts. I think we need to maybe move some clutter in our ministries that's preventing us from having a greater soul-winning ministry. We need to move some clutter. We've got great, lots of programs, all kinds of programs. But if they're getting in the way of us reaching our cities with the gospel, then they're clutter. They're clutter. Yeah. When we move aside the clutter, we'll start to see the fire. The fire of God, then we'll start to see revival. We'll start to see that God not only has reserves, we'll start to see the reserves. Have you ever heard the name Jack Ma? Anyone? Ever heard the name Alibaba? The website, Alibaba? Jack Ma is one of the world's wealthiest men today. 
Alibaba is like the Amazon, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, mainly of China, but really of the world. It's one of those. Jack Ma, one of the world's wealthiest men, but he suffered many setbacks in life. I don't know if you know, if you, if you didn't raise your hand, if I said, who, who knows Jack Ma, if you didn't raise your hand, you won't know. He had many setbacks in life. Surprise, surprise. He was rejected from nearly 30 jobs, including Kentucky Fried Chicken, which was growing gangbusters in China at the time. He failed to get hired. He applied to work for the police force, but was rejected. They said he was no good. Jack Ma applied to Harvard Business School 10 times, but was rejected every time. He eventually went on to become an English teacher in China. But Jack taught himself computer coding, and in 1999, he started in his apartment in Hangzhou, China, a small online marketplace called Alibaba, which connects buyers and sellers. He and a couple of partners started the company with just $60,000 in capital, and they faced intense competition. Despite all those challenges, Jack pressed on, convinced he could create something great. His tenacity paid off. Alibaba gained a foothold in China, becoming the go-to platform for online shopping. Back in September of 2014, nine years ago, the company went public in the United States in what was one of the largest initial public offerings in history, raising $25 billion. Today, Alibaba is worth over $600 billion. Folks, we have a service and a product far, far more valuable and far more important than Alibaba or Amazon or all of the other Fortune 500 companies. We, we got it. And our boss is the greatest boss in the whole world. And if we're laborers, we're working for him. I cross the border once in a while, they'll ask me, what is your profession? I'll tell them, I got the greatest job in the whole world. And they look at me and I say, I get to work for God. And then I tell them I'm a pastor of a church and then they understand. But it is the greatest privilege to work for the King of Kings full time. Well, even part time. Hey, there's, you won't see me complaining. We face plenty of hardships. We surely do. The devil is actively against us, but Almighty God is our employer, and he has all of the fire necessary to get the job done. There is fire in every failure. Never forget that. There is fire in every independent, fundamental Baptist pastor, whether he can see it or not. There is fire in every independent, fundamental Baptist church in Canada. We just need to move aside some of the clutter. Proper praying and good preaching and hard work is what will bring about that fire of God. Fire to ignite better, more effective soul winning in our churches. Fire to ignite the support of many, many more missionaries to help reach the world with the gospel. 
fire to ignite some of those thousand young people to enter Bible college. God is still able. God still has plenty of resources. Jesus told us, ask and ye shall receive. Ask that your joy may be full. James told us, ye have not because ye ask not. And the truth is, God is able, which means that we are more than able. Thank you, Caleb. And there's plenty of fire available for each and every one of us. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's throw away the third envelope. How about that? Let's not even look for it. Let's burn it with a match. Because my brothers, my sisters, God is still able, which means that we are well able. Pastor Turner.